We are over in Joshua, of course. This story is so good, I told it years ago, but maybe some of you have forgotten about it. But there were two robins that were sitting up in a tree, and they got hungry. And so they said, let's fly on down and see if we can find some worms. And so they flew on down, and they found this freshly plowed plot of land. And so they went looking for worms, and they found a slew of them. They found so many worms. They ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they ate so much that when they finally got done, the one robin said to the other, he says, Man, I don't think I can fly all the way up to that tree anymore. And the other one said, I don't think I can either. Heaven, we just sit here and bask in the beautiful sun for just a little while. And, and, uh, and then after a bit, we'll be able to fly on up. So they did that. They kind of stretched out their wings and just kind of bask in the sun. And as they, as they did, they fell asleep and a big old tomcat came up on them, snuck up on them and gobbled them up. You know what the tomcat was thinking? I love Baskin Robbins. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're going to see some folks basking in the sun here today. Joshua chapter 10 and verse 9. Glory to God. Last time we were looking at the enemies that are against us, and we saw in the names of the kings some of the importance of knowing what's, what, uh, what enemies are coming against us. Of the five kings that were there, just to give you a quick review, the first king was the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, the lord of justice or righteousness. He was Satan's counterfeit version of Melchizedek. His name, Adonai, means lord of righteousness. Lord of righteousness. Again, he's the counterfeit of Melchizedek. Uh, he was the, uh, the first way the devil comes at you, and this one is as an angel of light. And, of course, the Word of God backs that up, tells us about how he comes along that. The second one was the king of Hebron. That was Hoham, the voice of the multitude. Satan will try to persuade by popular opinion. The third was the king of Jarmuth, Piram, which means like a wild ass, and it stands for instability. When you take your eyes off the Word of God and focus on other things like human reasoning, the, the fourth was the king of Lachish, Japhia, which means splendid, dazzling to the eyes. The lust of the eyes and the lure of the world. Satan tries to distract you away from where you should be. The fifth one, the king of Eglon, Debir means oracle. This is a, represents a direct satanic attack. If he can't get you through any of these distracted ways, then he will just come right on out and try and get you. And of course, we know that he'll, he'll do that sort of... Uh, do that as well. But we know what the enemy does. We know what he is capable of. And we don't let uh, that kind of stuff surprise us, do we? Anybody do any meditating on any of that over the, over the week? I, I just think it's kind of fun thinking on those kind of things because you can sure see in your own life how it is that he has come against us in all these areas. Well, we're going to be over in Joshua chapter 10. I believe we left off at verse 9, 11. What are we up to? Yeah, we kind of we kind of overlapped one of the verses, didn't we? Yep. Well, let's do that again. Verse 9, Joshua came, therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now, the, the trip here is around, uh, if I remember correctly. I didn't look this up here before, but if I remember correctly from looking at this years ago, it's about 20 miles. Can you imagine going on a 20-mile march, marching all night, and then going into battle? A 20-mile march, (laughs) 
and then going right into battle. I mean, I don't think most of us would want to do that. Because you've been up all night. Because now, the, again, this this uh, this uh, this is not something they planned to. They didn't uh, sleep all day because we're going to march all night. It suddenly came up on on a, we need to go, and they marched all night. So they didn't necessarily wake right up and then go marching. They were probably awake doing whatever normal things they had to do, and then had to march all night. And then they come upon them the next day, and Joshua says, "All right, let's fight." <laughs> so the Lord routed them before Israel killed them with a great slaughter from Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horhan, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Now this could happen all kinds of ways. God could have given all the angels a couple of hailstones. David took five stones when he went into battle. Maybe each of them had, you know, had a handful, maybe five, six. Those, cause, you know, an angel size handful will be pretty good size hailstones. And they took those things and just winged them right at these guys. And, uh, and killed them. Each one of them. Get hit by a hailstone so, so big and they, and died from it. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the, Lord, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashir? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. Now, of course, they've used this many times to disprove the word of God because they say in order for that to happen, they all thought the sun was rotating around the earth. But now we know that the earth rotates around the sun. So, you know, that was just ridiculous. That shows you the Bible's not right because the sun didn't stand still in this. The earth did. Well, of course, uh, since then, they've found some other things out and they found out that everything is so intertwined in the solar system that if you want the earth to stop, well, you have to stop the sun. You have to stop Mars. You have to stop Saturn. You have to stop Jupiter. You have to stop all the, all the planets in there and probably a lot more of the rest of the universe that God put a stop on at least our solar system and maybe even more of the universe in order to, to accomplish this. But more is he kept all the gravitational pull in play <laughs> while all that was going on. But he, you know, he's such an awesome God. This is no big deal. And when, so when it says the sun stood still, the sun did stand still because you can't just have the earth standing still and, and not everything else. So everything else, it all stood still. Absolutely amazing. So Joshua spoke to the Lord, verse 12, in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. Now, here's what a, a lot of people miss up, miss their opportunity. A lot of people face a problem and they talk to God about it. And that's it. But look at this. He didn't do that. He didn't just talk to the Lord about it. What did he do after he got done praying? He, he spoke to the sun. And he said, sun, stand still over Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. See, it's not enough just to go before God and pray. We need to speak to our circumstances. So it's one thing that Christians do that miss it is they talk to God and they go off like it's all God's responsibility from there. No, I don't got to do anything. God. I already asked God. And if you ask them, how's that situation going? Well, I prayed about it. And I'm just waiting for something to happen. Joshua didn't do that. Joshua, after he talked to the Lord, he spoke to the sun. 
He spoke, and this is what we'll see in the life of Jesus. We'll see this in the life of the disciples. They didn't just pray to the Lord. They spoke to things. Jesus was talking to fig trees. Jesus talked to dead people inside of tombs. Jesus talked to dead people on top of beds. He spoke to fevers. He spoke to leprosy. He spoke to sickness and disease. He spoke to all kinds of things. And this is what we need to do. We need to speak to our situation. So here's how Christians can miss it. First off, we can just speak to the Lord and not speak to anything else. Here's the other way we can miss it. We can speak to the Lord and then go around and speak the wrong things to everything else. How's that situation going? Oh, it's getting worse. <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. Oh, it's just not. Oh, it's, I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just so hard. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with things. I don't know how I'm going to keep it up. And the devil's been talking to me. He's been saying, you know what? Who cares what the devil's been saying to you? Got to stop repeating what the devil says. I heard, well, I was listening to one guy. He was on another topic, but I was listening to, to somebody this week and they were talking about things and, and uh, they said, you know, I never tell you what the devil says to me. He's not worth the time. I says, I don't tell you anything the devil says until after he's already been defeated. <laughs> and sometimes we gotta just, you just got to learn that. Stop talking about what the devil keeps putting in your head. You don't need to talk about it. Get the victory and then say, you know what he said? That stupid fool. <laughs> he said this and that didn't happen. But see, we go around and we, we talk to the Lord, but we, we don't talk to the Lord this way. We go to the Lord and we say, Oh Lord, how come this came on me? Oh Lord, how come it's so bad? I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Oh Lord. And we complain, complain. And then we go off and then what do we do to other people? I don't know if that's going to change at all. I don't know if that's ever going to get any better. It may always be that way. And we just keep talking about our situation and we just keep giving life to that situation. Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. John didn't do that. Joshua doesn't do that. Moses didn't do that. You want to find some people out who did that? Gideon, he did that. He went away. He talked about how great the problem was after, after he got done talking to God. That didn't work out so well for him. You can find some other people who were defeated and went that way. Stop talking about how much the enemy is doing. Talk about what God's doing. Give some life to those kind of things. So, so Joshua here, he first off prays to God. All right, Father God, this is what I need. No one's ever asked this before. Can you imagine asking God something like this? No one's ever asked it. No one's ever said, Son, stand, Lord, I need the sun to stand still. I want to route all these enemies here before you and the sun's going down. They're going to get away. So how about you keep the sun right where it is? <laughs> we're going to go out there and we're going to get them all. And uh, apparently it's okay with the Lord. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, the Lord's probably saying, did you see what he asked of me? Man, that's cool. <laughs> I think I've shared this with you before, but um, there was one, uh, I forget the I forget which ruler. I have it in my head. I have about two or three of them. I think it might have been. But one of these great rulers, when somebody came and um, uh, they wanted to, they wanted a, a, a what do you call it? They, they gave the uh, women away. You had a uh, dowry. And they uh, asked for a very great one. And the king was honored that they asked for such a great dowry because he realized that the reason they asked for such a great dowry was because he realized this was a rich king. Sometimes we ask God the things we don't really realize how rich He is. We know sometimes we say, well, Lord, you know, I can, I can handle this. If you can just take, just ease the pain a little bit. 
Oh, if you could just take away some of this. Oh, just, you know, just a little bit. <laughs> We're insulting God. We're saying, oh, God, you, know, you can't get this stuff done. What's Joshua do? God, I know no one's ever asked this before. It's never happened before. <laughs> I don't even know if it's possible. But you know what? Let's just have the sun stop and the moon stop. <laughs> and let's just get this thing done. And then he goes on from there. I just, verse 12, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in a day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites from the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stands still over Gibeon. In the sight of Israel, he's saying this. Now, a lot of times we might want to say this privately. Because this hasn't happened before. He's a new ruler. I mean, why? <laughs> if it doesn't work, nobody will know about it. <laughs> he gets up in front of Israel. In the sight of Israel. Hey, sun, stand still. Boone, you stop too. Until we revenge our enemies. Now, if you're the people of Israel, all right, you just, you were doing your normal routine, and then all of a sudden you get the call, we've got to go into battle, and you march all night, 20 miles, come to the place and go right into battle, and you're fighting, and the day's finally coming to the end. How many of you are probably thinking, glory to God, we're going to be able to rest for just a little bit. We've been marching all night long. We didn't get to sleep. We marched 20 miles, and then we're doing this fighting, and we're killing people. Oh, it's, oh, but it's almost over. I'm looking at that. Oh, look at that. That sun's going down. We only got a little bit longer. We can keep going. I know I can keep going for another hour. I know I can keep going for another two hours. Oh, I know we can do it. And you're just getting there just to that spot. And then Joshua says, sun stands still. We're going to keep going. <laughs> Oh, what do you think the hearts of those men was like? I I really don't know. I think I told you this story before, but I had a situation where I came into something just similar to this. There was a uh, a time when, you know, when I first went out for the cross-country team, one of the first away routes we ever did. It was, uh, I believe it was at Marist College. And they had a route. It was a fairly complex route. And so what they decided to do was they put us all into a van and they drove us around to show us the route. So we would see the whole route and where it all was supposed to go and, and things like that. And so, you know, we got there, the starting line, and the pistol went off, and phew, we're all off. And we're running, and, and, you know, I'm still new at this. I haven't really run competitively a whole lot. This is my first year at it. And so I put everything into it, and I'm coming, and I, I see, I'm, I'm about ready to, to be done. Man, I'll tell you what, the legs are hurting, and, and just everything's hurting. And I, I see the finish line. The finish line is coming up. Oh, glory to God. I'm ready for this thing. I pushed it about as hard as I could. I'm not ready to, to go on through. And uh, so I'm getting closer to that finish line. You know, still off in the distance, but it's coming. And as I get closer, I begin to notice some things about the people that are ahead of me that are going through the finish line, and they didn't stop. <laughs> they, they kept going. I'm thinking, why are they, why are they not stopping? Why do they, <laughs> we're supposed to stop. We hit the finish line. We stop. They keep going and they're still racing. I could tell, you know, they haven't, they're not going off into that little jog that you do afterwards, just kind of warm down. No, no, no. They're still racing. They're still, and then all of a sudden it dawned to me, oh yeah, this is only the first lap. <laughs> we got a whole, there's a whole other second uh, part of the lap we had to do. And so of the six mile race or something like that, we were about four miles through. And we still had two more miles to go. So, dear Lord, all right, come on. You can, you can. <laughs> I think this is something what they were going through. Of course, that much more grander scale that they had. They're looking at a whole nother day of fighting. I just looking at two more, two or three more miles, whatever it was that we had to go on through. And, but how, how disappointing. You're thinking it's coming to the end. And in the sight of all of Israel, Joshua gets up there and says, sun stands still. We're going to keep on fighting. We're going to keep on going. And the men are thinking, dear Lord, the sun may be standing still, but you know what? <laughs> I'm tired. It's, it is over here. We're tired of killing people. 
Nope, nope, we're going to keep on going. Verse 14, and there has not been, and there has been no day like that before it or after it. Now he's writing this. How does he know? Might be from the time that he's writing. He says up until then, but there hasn't been a day like that after it. One other time, there's a the guy who said, I'll have the sun go backwards and the sun went backwards, but that was about it. Before it or after it, and the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. Well, that's a pretty good way to fight. I mean, what do you do if you're the enemy and you came against Israel and all these things are going on, all these things are happening. You know, the Jordan River gets parted, the walls of Jericho fall in, the stuff that went on with Ai, the Gibeonites make a treaty and then you come on out there and now this God stops the sun. Stops the sun. I mean, that's got to get around. Because it didn't just affect this area. If the sun stopped, that means that all the rest of Canaan, all the rest of them, <laughs> what, what is going on? It's usually, it's usually dark by now. And the sun, that sun hasn't moved for a couple hours. What's wrong with the sun? Look at the moon. The moon hasn't moved. Now, they're out, they haven't heard Joshua in his command. They're going to be thinking, what in the world's going on here? And they're seeing this day unfold. And some of them may have thought, dear Lord, the earth's coming to the end. This is it. The Mayans had it wrong. It's now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're thinking it's all coming to an end. Or, or some kind of work. Because if you were unknown about, I mean, if, if today, even with all of our technology, if the sun suddenly stood still, what would people be thinking? What would people be saying? I mean, we'd be freaking out. Non-Christian ones anyway. So they came on down. Again, they marched all night. They came on over here and they attacked. One thing you got to realize is that they didn't wait to be attacked. They attacked. Too often, as Christians, we play defense. Well, if the enemy comes against me, I guess I'll do something about it. No, you know what? Find out what the plans of the enemy are and go after them. And you can do that. The Lord will help you. Be on the attack with the, with the enemy. And they went on out there and, and they were so focused on destroying the enemies of God. Because God told them, when you go in there, wipe them all out. They had many hundreds of years to repent and turn away from and they didn't do it. And God said, that's it. Judgment is coming upon this land and you guys are executing it. So when you go in, you don't spare them. You cut them all down. If you don't, they're going to bring you into the same sin they were into. So cut them all down and get, and get rid of them. But so, so often we think the Christian way is, you know, just be nice. Now, listen to our news media. Well, the terrorists, you know, they're, they're just misunderstood. If we're just be nice to them, then they'll be okay. No, they want to kill you. You go over there in Israel. Israel lives around this type of terroristic activity. And they realize what they need to do to survive around there is fight them. you got to fight them. Now, I've heard people in this country, they've gotten on Israel's case because Israel will sit over there and they'll throw like 30 rockets over at Israel. And they don't hit nothing because, you know, they're no good at doing what they're doing. When they threw the rockets, the rockets hit all kinds of stuff, but they don't, you know, hit where people are. They're not real smart rockets. And God's probably messing them up anyway. And so then Israel, well, they'll fire back one or two, but they'll hit stuff. And uh, people will die. And then people, oh, Israel, you nasty people. How do you respond? So, oh, look at the, the stuff you, 
you uh, did with that. Well, I'll tell you what, if we had people that were throwing stuff, if Canada was throwing stuff over our way, even if they weren't hitting things, if they threw 30 or 40 rockets our way, what do we think we'd do? Eh, we'll wait till they get serious. Eh, we'll wait until they, maybe if they hit something, you know, maybe we should do something then. No, we're concerned about it. What kind of a reaction did we have to North Korea firing a rocket in the direction of California that landed in the Pacific Ocean? We didn't take too kindly to that, did we? We didn't like that. I think we flexed our muscles a little bit and sent some stuff over there just to kind of show what we could do. Well, we didn't like that either. But you have to understand, you're fighting an enemy that wants you dead. You can't compromise with that too much. They want you dead. The enemy, Satan, wants us gone. He wants us eliminated. When we fight against him, we've got to stop being nice. Defeat him. Well, they uh, found the five kings. Five kings uh, had all their men out there, and they're fighting for the five kings. And the five kings decide, you know what? This isn't going so well. We're going to hide. Verse 15, Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Mecca. you imagine that? Big, strong kings, supposed to be big warriors. They're supposed to be the lead warriors. It's not like, you know, our president would be in our country. They don't, they don't see the uh, action. In this area, when you were a king, you were leading the battle. David was leading the battle in the, in the fights. You didn't sit back there and, and tell people what to do. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Mecca. And it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Mecca. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them up into your hand. So he's given them commands here. We're not going to deal with the kings right now. If they hidden themselves, great. They got themselves in the cave. We'll just block the uh, exit, put a couple of guards up there, then nobody can come and free them. And we'll take care of them later on. The rest of you guys get on out there and you pursue these enemies. Don't let them get away. The Lord's given them to us. We've got the sun standing still. You guys are going to stay up a second night and we're going to keep fighting. Uh, do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. There's some things that God has put in our hand and we've let slip away. We've got to make sure that we don't let that happen. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. So some people got away. Is this God's idea? Uh-uh. Is it Joshua's idea? Mm-mm. Joshua does not like the idea that people got away. He wanted them all to be taken care of. He even said, before they get into the fortified cities, you make sure you take care of them. Look what God's done for us so far. Sun's standing still. Moon's standing still. Get them out there and get them. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Mecca in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Now, this is odd. Have you ever, if you've been around here, especially in the sports world, if you get around here in the sports world, even after the Eagles or the Flyers or the Phillies win a game, if you listen to the talk radio people, they have reasons to criticize them. I stopped listening to them years ago because I just can't stand the, that idea. And if they lose a game, I'm sure that they're even worse. They're just just picking on things. You know, no matter, you can go 12-2 and two and they'll pick on the weaknesses that you showed in those two games you lost. 
They just, uh, they're just terrible with that. They don't appreciate the things that they have. But no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. We had a great victory here. We marched all night. And we still had the strength to come in there to battle and to win against these five kings. And after that, we kept going and kept fighting, even though we've been up for two nights now. We kept going through the night and through the next day, slaying people. But some people got away. If some folks got away, what does that mean? Some people did not do their job. Some people gave in to being tired. Now, just think of yourself. If you're going along the way and you're fighting and the thought comes in, we stayed up all night, we marched 20 miles. We came right in and we got right into the battle. We've been fighting all day. And then Joshua gets the idea of talking to the moon. And so we're fighting all night. And we're going to be fighting through the next day too. And you can, how many of y'all know, your body's probably talking to you. I'm tired. I need to rest. I need to slow down. This is, this, please stop. And you're getting those, you're getting those uh, messages. Well, you need to, you know, either take authority over that, do something with it. And, you know, for some folks, when they get tired, they go sip some coffee. Some people, if you sip some coffee, oh, that helps you out with it. You know, I was talking with my sister one time. She was telling me how much caffeine has an effect on her. And as little effect as caffeine has on me, it has a multiplied effect on her. So somehow in the birthing process, she took all the caffeine effect, hers and mine, and I got none. <laughs> Zero. Caffeine has no effect on me at all. And because she was telling me I was, I was, she's not a big coffee drinker, but she likes tea. And so I have this one tea at home uh, and it's, it actually has as much caffeine as coffee and some kind of a chai tea. And it's a mix of, of things. And so I made, you know, it smells wonderful. And you brew it up, all oh, it smells good. And it was in the morning. And she said, yeah, I could probably drink that in the morning. Uh, by the time it become nighttime, it's been all out of my system. And I'll be okay. Nope, kept her up at night. <laughs> she drank it in the morning. And she woke up, went through the whole day. And the caffeine kept her up at night. And, and things like that. Now, you see, I could drink four cups of that tea at nighttime and go right to sleep. I can pop caffeine pills with Diet Coke Mountain Dew and Jolt and go right to sleep. I, it has absolutely no effect on me at all. I can take ephedrine, triple dose, because I've tried it, triple dose of ephedrine to try and keep me awake at night when I'm driving. And in 30 minutes, I'm, ready, I'm fighting my eyelids just to keep myself awake. has absolutely no effect on me. There is absolutely nothing I can take externally that keeps me awake. When my body decides it's shutting down, it's over. <laughs> I, can, I can try and push it. I can do all sorts of stuff, but there's nothing I can eat, nothing I can drink, nothing I can take. Uh, Dr. Bruce had, uh, he said he had some stuff. He said, oh, if you take some of these, took some of those and still ready to fall asleep. There is nothing, that, nothing that'll work. My neighbor was telling me, you know, those five-hour energy drinks. He said, oh, I took one of those. And I was really tired and I took one of those five-hour energy drinks and it not only got me through the drive, I came home and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I was, I was going the whole rest of the day. I had no trouble at all. I said, I've taken those things and can fall asleep 30 minutes later. No effect on me at all. Don't know what it is. I guess my sister either got it all, my metabolism is of such that there's just nothing that 
that will will do that. But no, it'd be great if these guys at their spot could just drink some coffee or some Diet Coke or some adult soda or whatever it might be that they had Mountain Dew, something that has high caffeine, and just be able to to go and go and go. I have no idea what that is like to be able to take a beverage, drink it, and feel energized from it because it has never, not even one time, ever happened to me for any drink that I've ever had. So you folks that have that, you know, and can take a, a shot of coffee or something like that to get yourself going in the morning, I do not know what that's like. <laughs> it is fortunate, though, that usually when I wake up in the morning, I am ready to go. I don't uh, uh, need anything to, to take to get that get that going, but I sure would like to know what it's like, though. Because <laughs> all those times I've driven at nighttime, oh, I don't like driving at nighttime. I'd rather drive at 4 a.m. in the morning than at 1 a.m. Because at 1 a.m., you know, it's just, it's, it's not changing for a long time. You know, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night, it's not changing. It's going to get worse. But at 4 a.m., even if it's just as dark as it was at 10, it don't matter. In my inside, I'm thinking, oh, it's not long. That sun's coming up. <laughs> I know it. That sun's coming up. I'm excited at 4 a.m. I can drive at 4 a.m. 10, 11, 12, oh, it's a, it's, it's a tough time for me. I have a hard time driving at late night, 1 o'clock in the morning. Other people, that's their easier time to drive. Isn't it good that God made us all different? Hmm. Well, they have to keep on going. And some of them didn't go as much as the others. There are some people who just sit, took authority over their bodies, said, body, we are going to keep on going and we are going to pursue. Some of those folks were out there and they're probably saying, hey, I had two or three guys and I got them both. I saw you chasing that one and you missed them. He got away from you. Why is that? But you know what the Bible tells us? No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. It means those who did their job exceptionally well and those who did not do their job exceptionally well, maybe did it kind of poorly, and some of them got away. No one complained. That's a pretty tough thing to do. And it's a completely different Israel than what we saw with Moses. Boy, they complained about everything. I mean, everybody could have done their job or everybody could have done, things could have gone okay and they're still finding reason to complain. Man has fallen from heaven. Oh, this tastes awful. We need some meat. I can understand that, but man, don't, don't, complain, about, <laughs> don't complain about God's manna. Mm-mm. God's just bringing it to you and it's just coming in. Just be glad. But here, the children of Israel, none of them moved their tongue. None of them said anything about it. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave and the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. All the different ways the enemy comes against you. And so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Well, there must have been at least five, or maybe there was more than five, and whatever it was, they took five of the captains. And they said, I want each of you to put your, your foot on the neck of these kings. So those kings are laying down. I mean, they know there's no sense in fighting. They've got all the children of Israel all around them. They're not going anywhere. They're just hoping that there's some mercy here. Do not be afraid. Come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Too often we have run away from the attacks of the enemy. We have been fear 
of the attacks of the enemy. Again, the angel of light, the uh, opinions of the multitudes, the dazzling bright things, the lust of the flesh, the direct attacks from Satan, all the different ways that we looked at. We need to go up to these things and put our foot on their neck and not have any mercy. Devil, you meant for these things to pull me down. I'm taking them out. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Where did you hear these words from? God said it to Joshua. Who did God say it to before this? Moses. Then God said it to Joshua. And then Joshua said it to these men. And we find that constantly these words are repeated to people, which means we, we told you before, you can take these words and apply them to your life because people have done it all through history. And now one time the God said, wait a minute, that's Joshua's word. What are you doing with Joshua's word? I didn't give that to you. I gave it to Joshua. Not one time did God ever rebuke anybody for using this word. So you can use it. You can just put that on your own refrigerator. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Most of the time that the enemy defeats us is because we became afraid. We became discouraged. We became dismayed. I didn't know that the bills were going to be this bad. I took this new thing on and oh, it is much harder than I thought it was going to be. Took on a new job and I don't like the people that are there. Moved into a new place and I don't like the neighbors. I answered the call of God and went after this and oh, the attacks that seemed to be coming against me. And we've become dismayed because the enemy's coming against us. Now, you, some of you folks that might be watching the Super Bowl this weekend, it's coming on. And if you started at the beginning of the season and you said pick two teams that you do not want to see in the Super Bowl, these would be the teams I would have picked. I do not want to see them in the Super Bowl. I especially don't like New England. I do not want to sit there and watch New England win. I would love to see them watch them lose. But in order for that to happen, I have to watch the New York Giants win. And I want to see them lose as well. But in order for that to happen, I had to see the New England Patriots win. And I'm, the, I'm not going to be happy either way. So I'm pretty sure that the last time the New York Giants played the New England, I did not watch the Super Bowl at all. As much as I love football, I stayed away. I didn't watch it. And I might have to do the same thing this year. I don't know. Still deciding on that one. It's just, oh. But can you imagine? We'll just pick this game. This is one going on. A lot of non-football people will watch this one or have watched the Super Bowl in the, in the past. Can you imagine on the... On the trenches, as they call it in football. you got a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman, and they're going at it the whole time. And, and finally, one of them just breaks down and cries. Man, I didn't know you were going to be this hard on me when you stopped hitting me so hard. I mean, I, I'm just trying to be here doing my job. I'm just trying to get a paycheck. Why are you hitting me all the time? Every time they psych the ball, you're coming at me, and you hit me so hard. Please stop it. What's going to happen? What will happen on the next play? Oh, man, have you been revived? The person who's coming against them, they're just, oh, yeah, just just wait on the next play. <laughs> the next play, I'm coming at you even harder. Oh, we're going we're gonna to put you back on your bottom. Oh, I'm going to come in there. You, you just revive. Does that cause any, any lessening? Do you th ever expect the defensive line or the offensive line guy to say, oh, man, I didn't know I was taking it that hard. Of course, you're just trying to earn a job. Tell you what, I'll let you through the next time. That's not going to happen, is it? Not going to be going on at all. The enemy knows if he's going to have success, he's got to get you in fear 
and dismay. Staying with the football example, because I love football. I've told you, I think I've told you about this game. My favorite football game that I have ever watched in the history of football, in the history of television. I still remember where I watched it and who played and what was going on. It was a Monday night football game. And I was down at the shore in Ocean City, New Jersey. And the, because I was going down the shore then and um, I was staying over there Monday night. Well, my uncle also had an apartment in the town of Ocean City at the time. And so we decided, let's get together. I'll get a pizza. We'll bring over some pizza and we'll sit and we'll watch football. So I went over to, of course, the only place that you ever buy pizza in Ocean City, New Jersey, or to Macamonco's. And I got a pizza and I brought it over to his house and we sat there and we got ready to watch the Houston Oilers, because that's who they were at the time, play the Philadelphia Eagles. This is during the Buddy Ryan era. And Buddy Ryan had a wonderful defense. I mean, you, you were excited as an Eagle fan to watch the defense take the field. And they had a pair of safeties that were known throughout the league and were feared. If you remember their names, Andre Waters and Wes Hopkins. Oh, I love those guys. Got to meet them at uh, one, of the, one of the signings. I got to meet both of those guys. Oh, I just, they, were, they were two players. Mm. I was so sad when they went away. <laughs> Loved watching these two play back in there. And at the time, Houston was a pretty good team. And they called the Houston Stadium. It was an away game. It was down in Houston. And they called it the House of Pain. You got that one. Yeah, the House of Pain. And so Buddy Ryan's Eagles came on in there. And Wes Hopkins and Andre Waters wreaked havoc in the lives of the wide receivers of the Houston Oilers. They hit them so hard. They hit them with everything that they had. They got the Houston Oilers receivers to be afraid to catch the ball. And you could tell because they, had, they came up with alligator arms. You know what alligator arms are? It's when you're not quite reaching out all the way. You're kind of like this. <laughs> and they were not quite getting the ball because their arms were not stretched out. Because if you stretch out your arm, you're more vulnerable. And they would, they would reach out for the ball and bam, they'd be hit by Andre. Bam, they'd be hit by Wes Hopkins. Oh, they were some of the most feared safeties. And so by the second half, they were afraid to catch the ball. And they easily won that game. If I wish above everything that I had that game recorded and that I would have kept it. I don't even remember who was quarterback for the Eagles then. I'm pretty sure it should have been um, uh, number 17. Come on. Number 12, yeah. I think, it was, I think that was during the time that Randall Cunningham came on. I don't know that Jaws was still around there or if that was his year because I know Jaws overlapped a little bit of that. But oh, I loved watching Randall Cunningham. He was so much fun to watch. Oh, he was just a highlight thing. But this was, this was a great time. But what they did was they inflicted so many hits on those receivers that they were intimidated and they dropped the ball. The devil wants to intimidate you. He wants to get you in fear and dismay. And what God is telling us over and over, and that's why he never minds it if anybody takes that word and applies it to their life. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus, thus the Lord will do to all your enemies. Is Pico your enemy? At times, huh? I mean, you're sure glad they give you the power into your house, but 
that bill at the end of the month, uh, that gets getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? Mm. That is something else. And uh, the mortgage payment or rent payment or whatever you have on, on that or, you know, car payment or the gas prices. Or we got all these things that are coming after us and trying to, the enemies, do not fear or be dismayed. Now, we talked a lot about tithing over the last couple of weeks, but what is the thing that keeps us from tithing? Fear and dismay. Because I think my bills are too big for my God if I give Him what He asked for. Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Wouldn't it be great if being strong and of good courage was just a decision on your part? Well, doggone it, that's not what he's saying. Be strong and of good courage. It's a decision on your part. You can decide to be weak. You can decide to be strong. When Houston and Philadelphia came together for that game, Andre Waters and Wes Hopkins decided we're going to be strong. I remember uh, when some of the interviews of these guys, because uh, they, you've never seen two, I've never seen two safeties. Brian Dawkins is the closest thing. And he's, he's at least up there with them. He put himself out as much as these guys did. But as indestructible as these two seemed to be on the field, they were patching themselves up. They would be going, they would be sore when they went into the training room. They would be hurting so bad. It's sometimes it took days before they could feel like they could practice full, full scale again because of the hits that they put on people and the, the marks that it left on their own bodies. But they go out there the next week and then they think about, oh, no. They went after it because it's a, it's a decision to be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Stop giving in to your emotions. Stop deciding to be afraid. Simply believe this word. Adopt this for yourself. Five kings came after them. They stopped the sun. They marched all night. And they still kept going. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them. And hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees. Cast them into the cave where they had been hidden. And laid large stones against the cave's mouth which remain until this very day. So this very cave they were hiding in, they killed them, threw them back in where they wanted to hide for safety and then sealed them up. And this is going to be in the territory of Israel now so they can all come back there. Why is that cave sealed up? Oh, that holds the bodies of the five kings that came against the children of Israel. And they can tell them the whole story. On that day, Joshua took Mechadah and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did the king of Mechadah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Mechadah and all Israel with him. And he, he keeps on going on in here. But before we get into all that, one, maybe we'll save that for another, another time. <clears throat> Notice that the kings are brought out. They killed them and they hung their bodies on trees. But before sundown, they took them, they took them down. Now, I want you to see some of the things with this. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, if he's committed a sin, if he's deserving of death, and you do kill him, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree. This is the command. 
but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So what they're saying is, is that when the person who is guilty is hung on the tree, that the curse for his sin is put on him. But you need to take him down by the going down of the sun because if you don't, then the curse that was on him will come on the land. So if you want the curse to stop with him, you need to put him on the tree so he becomes cursed and then take him down before sunset. Otherwise, the curse comes back on the land. As long as you do that, the curse stays with the man. And when you bury the man, then the curse is buried with him. That's the law that God put in operation. You say, why is it that way? Because that's how God did it. Why does gravity work? Because that's how God did it. <laughs> There's some things God just did it that way. If he was not taken down by the sundown, the curse would come back on the land. And this was the fate of all the kings, that their curse would be put upon them and it was going to be buried with them. They buried them in the cave. Now, remember, Jesus was hung on a tree for us. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, For as many as are, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. There's a curse that comes of the law. So when we are guilty of the law and we are put to death, that curse is upon us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. How many of us have not continued in doing the things that are in the... Of course we have. Before we got saved, we did some of those. After we got saved, we did some of those. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, if you've heard that in the New Testament, that's where it comes from in the Old Testament, over there in Deuteronomy. So that the idea was that Jesus was going to be hung on a cross, which was of a tree, and thereby the curse was going to be put upon him. But it was imperative that he be taken down before sunset. If he didn't, the curse that was on him would come back on the land. So he had to be brought down. So for some reason, through all this time, Romans had honored the law of the Jews that they would not hang people on a tree and then keep them there until after sunset. Now, this did not continue for much longer because once the Israel revolted, I heard that uh, when Titus came on through, that they just they, uh, they took trees from all over the place. They just cut down all the trees in, in the land and they stuck them up, and they took the men of Israel, and as they killed them, or as they, uh, they captured them, they would put them on these crosses. They said there were so many crosses when Titus came through in Israel, in the area of Jerusalem, and probably some other areas as well, that the men could almost touch hands. Crosses all over the land where the men were put on and just, just slaughtered the men of Israel because of their revolting. Now, those ones probably didn't care about the law of the Israel at that point because Israel had not cared about the law of the Romans. And they may have dis uh, not carried it through then. I don't know if they took them all down. Probably didn't. They probably just left them there to rot. And they carried all the women and the children away. So the land became desolate. The land was desolate for years. Many, many years. Until Israel came back, that land didn't really produce much at all. Israel got it going again. 
No one wanted the lamb because it was useless. But this is why Jesus was put on a cross so that the curse would come upon him. And then when he was buried, that curse was buried with him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities, and power, and might, and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When he was put in that tomb, the curse was put in there with him. When he was raised up, the curse did not come out with him. The curse stayed buried, and he came out with power and authority. Ephesians 4, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. That's an opportunity for the devil. When we let the, let the uh, sun go down on our wrath, don't do that. That's why it's, it talks about the, the sun going down. It's an important thing. As far as God is concerned, when the sun goes down, it has an effect on things. Do not let the sun go down when people are on the cross. The curse is put on them. And Jesus said, when a man has committed a sin and you need to execute him according to the law, make sure that after you execute him, that you bury him before the sundown. When Jesus was put on the cross, he was taken down before the, before the sun down and the curse was buried with him. We don't have to carry it anymore. But that's where it goes back to, is back over to here. And you're going to see with the Joshua that they uh, honored that and didn't, they did not bring these... Uh, the, the curse back on the land by keeping them up. They took them down. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that Jesus was made a curse for us because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us so that we don't have to. We don't have to be in fear of what the enemy does. His ways are identified in your word. Even here we see where five of his methods are directly revealed. But as you said to Joshua over and over, do not fear, do not be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. It's as simple as us deciding not to be dismayed, not to be afraid, not to be discouraged. It's as simple as us deciding not to be. Too often the words that come out of our mouth are of fear and dismay and discouragement. Oh, but Father, we need to be strong and of good courage. People who are strong and of good courage don't have words of weakness and fear. So help us to guard our words and to speak words born of the image that you have put in us. Born in that image like you put into Joshua. Joshua, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. No man shall be able to stand against you. And you constantly reaffirmed with him to not be afraid, to not be discouraged, and to be strong. Many people from this point on use this same verse and encourage themselves. And Father, we can do the same. There is nothing that comes against us that we need to be in fear of. Even when people gang up against us and five kings come out, we can march all night and fight the whole next day and ask for the sun to stand still and keep on fighting and we'll be able to keep on going. We do not need to be in fear. We do not need to be dismayed. We don't need to sit around and Bad talk other people who maybe didn't do it quite as well as we did. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in life. We are walking through victoriously because we will not be discouraged. We will not be dismayed. We will not commit ourselves to fear. 
we will be strong. And we will be of good courage. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.